Well, hello everyone. I'm your host, Cindy Ketzel. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Nine to Thrive HR. In this podcast, we team up with experts to bring you the best in HR, talent management, and business strategy. And of course, I'm going to ask my question that I shout out there if anybody does have any interest in specific topics or focus areas, we'd love to hear from you. Shoot us an email at podcasts at hci.org. Well, you all, I am super excited today. It's such an interesting topic, at least to me, um, to be joined by Dr. Soren Kaplan. And Dr. Kaplan or Soren is an award-winning author, an affiliate at the Center for Effective Organizations at the University of Southern California, a former corporate executive, founder of three Silicon Valley startups, and a columnist for Inc. Magazine. And I'm sure that's not even the full list. (laughs) He is the author of a book that was just released in January here called Experiential Intelligence, Harness the Power of Experience for Personal and Business Breakthroughs. And that was released through Matt Holt Books. He's an international keynote speaker and has led professional development programs for thousands of executives around the world. You all, and this includes places and executives from organizations like Disney, NBC Universal, Visa, PayPal, Colgate, Palmolive, Kimberly Clark, Medtronic, Roche, Hershey's, Red Bull, and so many others. Welcome to our podcast, Soren. Thank you, Cindy. Good to be here. We're so glad to have you. So I was sharing with you as we were chatting, for me, this is somewhat of a new topic. It may be that it's around me and I just haven't dug in yet, but experiential intelligence. I'm really curious about the story behind this. Like, how did you even get to this space or place that you've released a book on this topic? Yeah, thanks for asking. It's a combination of my observations and experiences working with all those thousands of leaders across many different organizations around the world and my own personal experience. So I'll just bring that to life real quick. So you kind of have a sense of, you know, kind of that perspective, but, you know, I grew up in kind of a difficult situation. My mother had a mental illness. My father was rarely around. And by the time I was 15 years old, we had moved 16 times. You know, those were really difficult moments growing up and I kind of realized kind of a a number of years ago that I had been applying things that I kind of learned through my own street smarts around like living with ambiguity and making decisions at the last minute with limited data and, you know, being able to kind of pivot in new directions when needed because I just had to, you know, kind of growing up, I got a lot of practice. It's kind of like that 10,000 hours rule that Malcolm Gladwell popularized. But what I realized is that those same things that sort of, you know, traumatized me to a certain extent growing up actually gave me these unique gifts and apply my abilities and my mindsets to achieving certain goals and things I've wanted to do. And so what I realized, and as I kind of dug into the literature and all of that, we've known IQ and your intellect's important. We know emotional intelligence or EQ is important, but we have not really had a way to talk about our experiences and the real intelligence that it creates in combination with IQ and EQ. And that's what this book is, is all about. 
That is so awesome. It's interesting to me. I had worked with a local uh, career coach just to figure out what other, you know, layers I could add to my own business. And one of the things that she talked about, similar, having a challenging background is taking risks. And it sounds like for you too, because you've had to, like you said, you've made decisions with ambiguity and little data and have had to figure things out and keep moving forward. So would you agree there's some risk involved with being more, I guess, more brave? I don't know if that's the right terminology for making some of those big decisions. Yeah, I think in certain cases, for sure. I mean, you know, what I realized for myself is things will be okay. And I, you know, there's kind of an inherent risk in living life, which has made me more comfortable with risk taking. But, you know, the experiential intelligence doesn't have to be the big traumatic things. It could be little things that, you know, just have happened in your life that might be positive. I mean, I traveled to India after college in the early 1990s and had an amazing experience, totally blew my mind. And it gave me a new way of looking at life and myself and understanding different cultures and motivations of people. And so, you know, I think we all have these experiences that shape us. The question is, how do you understand them and either overcome the self-limiting beliefs or challenges they might've created, but also recognize that maybe some of those same things or even other things have given you strengths. And how do you leverage those for your resume? How do you leverage those in your teams and in your organizations as well? That's amazing. I guess that would bring me to my question. And I know you alluded to it just a touch here. So we're talking about intelligence, right? That's the IQ. We're talking about emotional intelligence, which what the last few decades probably has been top of mind. And then you're talking about experiential intelligence or what you refer to, I think, as XQ. Right. Is that the right labeling for it? So what is that paradigm shift? Or maybe it's not a paradigm shift. What is that looking like for us today as we're moving or even harnessing all of that, the IQ, the EQ, and the XQ? What does that look for us today? To your point, even when you're thinking about organizations. You sort of joked about it when we started our discussion and said, well, maybe it's all around us. Maybe it's all been all around me. And if you think about it, we all have had experiences from the moment we're born. And those experiences impact us and they shape how we think, our mindsets. And then typically what we end up doing also in relation to those experiences that either our parents give us or we have in the communities or at our schools or whatever, which shape the know-how that we have, our our knowledge and skills that we develop, but also our higher order abilities. And so, you know, we all have street smarts. We all have experiential intelligence. It's kind of like our own unique internal fingerprint because we all have different experiences. So let me just bring this to life through a really simple example and to kind of facetiously ask you, when you learn to ride a bike, what percentage of your intellect was responsible for your success in riding a bike? Probably very little because right. I wouldn't have known how to do that. It was just trying it and doing it and learning how to do it once you're on exactly. the bike. Exactly. And when I kind of facetiously ask that question, yeah. which people say, you know, I, we had to try it. We had to do it. Yeah, like, you we had, had to have to the experience. It. Yes. Yes. So when you bring that to life and, and experiential intelligence is mindsets, abilities, and know-how. So when we ride a bike, what do we try to do? We might put on training wheels. We might get a little help from someone else. We'll be wobbly. And then we might take off a training wheel. We might kind of fall over a little bit, but get back up. And then we take off the other training wheel. And then we really kind of learn to navigate the bike. Well, and 
you could get off the bike and then get back on the bike once you know how to ride it a year later and you can still ride the bike is kind of innate to who you are because you've, you've had those experiences. So let's decipher that. You've got the know-how, your knowledge and skills about how the bike works, how to turn the handlebars, make it turn, how to brake. That's really kind of your base level know-how. Then you've got your abilities, which would be, you know, you're riding on the street and you see a car coming. Defensive driving is an ability or anticipating potholes and kind of being able to navigate around those, kind of that anticipatory um, learning that you might do. And then you have the mindsets. So what's a bike? How do you think about a bike? It could be transportation, but you could also look at a bike as stress relief, as a social activity. And so you've got multiple levels within just learning how to ride a bike, mindsets, abilities, know-how that are all at play. And it's all because you have had these experiences. And so we can apply that same model to really anything when you think about it, because, you know, life is way more than just book smarts and IQ. You have to really round it out through applying yourself and having those experiences. That just blew my mind. Yeah. As you were talking, I'm like, oh, okay. Completely understand. I mean, I know it, right. I rationally know what you're saying, but that was a super great example to help to give a picture, you know, for myself and even for our listeners to really, really dig into, okay, what are we talking about here? And I like that clarity of mindsets, ability, and know-how, which is beyond, to your point, it's beyond the intellectual capacity that we have. It's beyond our emotional intelligence. It's literally, like you said, referring back to me as it's all around us. You use the term mindset. I am curious about this. So we've been hearing a lot Right. And we actually just even at HCI just kicked off a new certification course around DEI. Is there any overlap here when you're thinking about mindsets? And then I know ability and know how as it relates to the XQ, but is there any connection there, mindsets and unconscious bias? Uh, direct overlap. So the way I look at and define mindsets is it's your attitudes and beliefs about something. And so you can have conscious attitudes and beliefs and you can have unconscious or subconscious attitudes and beliefs. And so that's, I think, what you're kind of getting at. And, you know, you can look at that in relation to diversity, inclusion, or you can look at it in terms of innovation. You can look at it in terms of team collaboration. You can look at it in terms of feedback that you get from other people. You know, the things that oftentimes get in our way are the subconscious you know, beliefs that don't serve us or other people interacting with other people well. And that's part of growing your experiential intelligence. It's understanding what your mindsets are and where they came from so that you can change them more consciously. Yeah, that's a really interesting way to think about it. And you're right. And we talk about, you know, that a lot just in the unconscious bias frame is that awareness and and that ability to decide to make a change, right? Because there's a decision at some point um, when it lifts from that unconscious. So how are you, because I know you've done a ton of work in this space, obviously, you've got a wonderful book that's been released. How are you connecting that, that XQ into how we're able to, how can we capture that and grow Right. So again, if I'm thinking back on working in an organization and I'm thinking about our personal potential growth in an organization, how is that interacting then with stuff that we might be doing in an organization? To your point, feedback, innovation, performance management, all of those pieces that are wrapped in. 
Yeah, that's a great question. And this is kind of, you know, experiential intelligence, I believe has always been there. Some organizations kind of have a way to tap into it better than others, even without calling it experiential intelligence. But, you know, it has implications for team collaboration, recruiting and hiring in HR, leadership and talent development, knowledge management and sharing best practices. And I can kind of do a deep dive into each one of those because every one of those relies on understanding kind of the the inherent strengths that people are bringing to the party and maybe the strengths that we are either explicitly choosing to leverage or not leveraging because it's not necessarily, you know, on their formal resume or in their job description, but they actually have those assets. And that's like a big overarching thing. It applies, you know, kind of across the board. It's just a matter of like looking at, you know, what do you want to apply it to? So let's do that then. And something I think that caught my attention, especially I know we're talking about this a lot, (laughs) 2022, 2023, we're talking about hiring and recruiting. Um, Maybe just at least start there. And if you want to add to any of those other HR functions, but yeah, I'd love to hear how that makes that connection. Yeah. And that's a great question. I just wrote an article for Harvard Business Review's Ascend publication, and it talks about exactly what you just asked. And just a couple stats that are from that article. The percentage of jobs that require a college degree today compared to 2017 has fallen from 51% to 44%. And the reason why is because I think a lot of organizations recognize that if they use a college degree as a gatekeeping mechanism for even getting an interview, you're going to leave a lot of talent on the table. So that's kind of one data point, I think, that supports the trend. And then another one, you know, a survey came out from Gallup recently that said U.S. adults age 18 to 29 who view college education as, quote unquote, very important dropped from 74% to 41% in the last six years. And so what we're seeing is that the recognition, when you tie it back to recruiting and hiring, how do you kind of hire outside the box? How do you look at, you know, the, the assets you're looking for in, you know, the job you need to fill, but really the mindsets and the abilities that will let you, understand someone and kind of that next job they're going to be moving into that may or may not even be tied to formal work experience. It could tie to internships or travel abroad or volunteer opportunities and really starting to look at how we understand mindsets, abilities, and know-how much more strategically and broader based than pigeonholing people into, you know, the job descriptions that they've had and trying to extrapolate from there. We're having more conversation about this in organizations. That's going to begin to change because as you're talking through this, you know, with the stats that you read, and I'm thinking now we're seeing uh, applicants that do not have that college degree, but in turn, and I'm with you because I've always been a believer of skills, right? What skills, what strengths do these people have and how will they add value to our organization? doesn't have to be about a college degree, but that's going to change an organization's hiring and recruiting practice. I would imagine because it's easy, right? Isn't it easy? Not, I shouldn't say it, it is not easy by any stretch of the imagination right now, but right now we can say, oh, they have a college degree. Oh, they've been at this organization for this number of years. Checkbox, checkbox, right? So how, do you, 
anticipate a change then in, in how that recruiting and that hiring function would shift? Yeah, I think it requires a little bit of interpretation and extrapolation and acceptance of non-traditional work experiences, quote unquote, work experiences. That's one element. But another element is just as you're screening, as you're interviewing, being able to understand and classify the understanding of that individual in terms of how do they think? What are their attitudes and beliefs about their work and the world and team collaboration and what they need in an organizational culture? That's mindset. And then abilities are indeed your skills and knowledge, but extrapolated to a higher level order so that you're looking at things like pattern recognition or strategic analysis, things that they might not be able to talk about on their resume, but that you can pull out and then, you know, create a little chart that's, you know, three columns, mindsets, abilities, and know-how. And this, you know, here's this candidate and how do they, you know, what is that for them? And it's a little qualitative, but at the same time, it'll really dimensionalize what you're trying to, you know, look for in that, you know, that next hire. Well, and hopefully it will broaden the pool of candidates, right? Because not everybody has an opportunity to go to college along with the fact that your mention of that 74% to 41% of how people 18 to 29 view college, right? Along with that. But yeah, so not everybody has that opportunity. And so it does maybe level the playing field a little bit more. Absolutely. And then there's a couple other connection points. So once someone is hired into a team or organization, you have an opportunity to do things that elevate their strengths in a way that tap into things that maybe you get to learn about them as part of them being part of your team now. And so I just did a session fortune 1000 company and there was a hundred people in the room right after COVID they hadn't worked really met face to face. And what we did is we basically paired people up and had them talk about what their most poignant life experiences were that really shaped who they are and the strengths they bring to the party. And then each person shared, um, it was a powerful experience because some people were sharing, you know, challenging experiences. And then we got them into groups of about six people and they kind of shared their stories there and then extrapolated out the higher level abilities the team had. And then they shared all of that. And what they realized is that they had assets across the team that were quite strategic that they hadn't been leveraging. And so that gave them a sense that every individual has something to contribute that's meaningful beyond perhaps just a res, you know, what's on their that's resume. Written on, yeah. Yeah. And then they can, you know, use that to achieve their goals for the year. I mean, it's really very tangible at that point. It's so cool. Well, it's interesting right before 2020, and this was really about multi-skilling folks within an organization, but right before everything kind of changed in March of 2020, I, there was an article that had caught my eye about your workplace being the new vocation, right? And so people are learning while they're on the job more and more now than they would have been a decade ago, two decades ago. So kind of that similar experience that you're talking about. The example of that bicycle, that is experiential learning. And we know experiential learning is how people change their mindsets and how you shape culture and how people really internalize what they are learning as well. So what you just said makes perfect sense in this context as well. 
Well, and it's interesting, you know, as a person for myself who's in the field of developing other people, you know, just even, you know, going through graduate level classes that talked about how do you provide an experiential learning environment. So it's similar, right? We're still coaching people, teaching people, developing people. And it's kind of the similar to what you're saying about experiential intelligence. It's taking what they've learned and what they know and capitalizing, right? That's Those are assets and strengths and value for organizations. And tying that again to the organizational strategy also, what you want to do is understand how to scale the best practices within your organization so that everybody can benefit from them. And sometimes those best practices exist with an individual or a team. And so there's opportunities like pairing people who are maybe you know on the older side about to retire with people who are just coming in and that job pairing, the mentoring, and even having those individuals who really have that experience in, in the organization capture what they know how to do, not just in a training manual, but through more like, you know, videos and things that really pull out how they think and how they apply that thinking to doing that thing you're looking at. That's so cool. And I want to come back. I want to see if there's any other hot topics that you want to talk to of this experiential intelligence or XQ and HR, but it's just fascinating that we haven't really talked. Well, we've probably been talking about this in a different fashion, right? We've probably been, this has probably been in conversation in different fashion, but this is so interesting to me. I love that this is all coming to life and that you were able to collect data and, and information and your knowledge and, and put a book together on this topic. That's so awesome. Well, just to tie into that, you know, what my view is we've always had experiential intelligence from the time we've walked the earth. But at the same time, the word experiential intelligence, I did not make up. It came from a guy named Robert Sternberg, and he was the former president of the American Psychological Association. So this is coming out of psychology. And he talked about experiential intelligence as being important. Now, what I've tried to do is pull in additional research around mindsets, around experiential learning, even around kind of neurology. And, you know, there's a great book called The Body Keeps the Score about how, you know, we get wired, literally wired in our bodies based on certain things that happened in our past. And so those things, you know, can also either get in the way or you might need to overcome them in order to really show up in the way you want to show up. So there's a lot of, there's psychology, sociology, neurology, all connected and supporting what we're talking about here. It's so great. And I suspect a lot of our folks in our community or our audience are like, oh yeah, this makes perfect sense. This is, this is so awesome. I wanted to give you an opportunity. You'd mentioned the connection, right? To different HR functions. And we spent some time on that hiring or recruiting. Was there anything else in that wave um, to make that connection, especially for you know our HR audience, anything else to make that connection back? I spent a number of years running the strategy and change group at Hewlett Packard HP in Silicon Valley. And so one of the things that we, we were doing this then, and I wasn't really aware of the model and we didn't have words for it, but we did a 360 process. So at HP at the time, we were forced to use kind of a bell curve distribution and some people would be high performers and low performers, and we didn't want to use that. And so what we did is we, we used a traditional 360, but we really complemented it with a session in which 
all the people who we had worked with and we were going to work with on future projects came together to identify what were the strengths we brought to the party. And it really was the three mindsets, abilities, and know-how that we were talking about. And which ones of those do we want to grow into the next year? And how can those individuals support us as we develop those things into the next year? And so it was a very kind of generative, collaborative, growth-oriented 360, which you don't see very much of. And what I've done is I've written up how it worked and what to do with it, because anybody, it's not rocket science. Anybody can facilitate that. And that's a real opportunity to draw out strengths of people and amplify them so you get the results you're trying to get in your teams. Dare I say it was even an experiential experience? <laughs> Dare I throw that word in there? It does well, it sound was. like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it absolutely was. And, and I think that that's why it had such an impact on people. You know, it's not a quantitative survey where you see some numbers and you debate with your manager what you're seeing. It's It was a very poignant experience for a lot of people. Even the people providing the feedback were learning about themselves as in the process. And you know, we really elevated the performance of our whole team by doing that. I love it. And that's truly like a really valuable experience. It sounds like you would have had even to move this idea, well, an idea from back when into this book that you've put together. All right. So here's my last question. So I teach a people analytics class. So this is a topic that I'm always curious about. So this is great, right? We're talking about uh, experiential intelligence or XQ. And I know I read um, in your press release that you do have a little bit in your book on this. So I don't want to give too much away, but what about assessing or measuring? Where does that come into play? We are on the early front end of understanding how to measure this. So I believe that there's lots of opportunities for other people to try to figure this out like others have tried to figure out emotional intelligence. But what I did do, I worked with Dr. Lindsay Godwin, who's at Champlain College. She's one of the foremost experts in the world on positive psychology. And we created a 12-question assessment, which will essentially give you a profile of I guess you could say it's high, medium, and low in terms of your experiential intelligence. And it really focuses in on your ability to appreciate your abilities, the awareness you have on the impacts of your past on your present, and your mindset flexibility, and then how you then contribute all of that to amplify who you are in whatever you're doing. And so it's those dimensions that are the assessment, but I would also add, it can be very qualitative. You can essentially list your most powerful point in experiences that you remember, positive or negative, and then look at your mindsets, abilities, and know-how that were generated from them and complement a quantitative-ish measure with a qualitative view of your own snapshot of your own experiential intelligence. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Interesting. So, yeah, it's possible, right? We're able to do it. We're able to put that together. I think that's always key. I was, again, just having a previous conversation um, with another guest and 
you know, talking about organizations that are offering more benefits. And I love all of this, right? I love the idea of experiential intelligence and utilizing it. It makes perfect sense. Love the idea of new and uh, different benefits being offered to organizations, but everything comes with a price tag, right? So people want to know, well, what's the ROI on this? What, you know, where's the return? So thank you for shedding some light on for us. I would say though, there's no price tag on appreciating people's strengths. Absolutely. There's, there's no price tag on recognizing those in a team and talking about how to leverage them. And some of this stuff is really simple. And that's, I think, experience, we all have it. And it's a no brainer that it's impacted us and shaped us and that we're going to keep having experiences. And so the question is, how do our organizations recognize we bring our whole selves to work all the time? That's a really great way to say it. You're absolutely right. You know, my mind automatically goes to, okay, there has to be somebody in that role that's doing this, right? Like I'm starting to starting to put a team together for, for experiential intelligence, but you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. There's authenticity with it, right? With individuals being valued for their strengths and assets, as you say, that have come from a lifetime of experiences. I think that's the biggest mindset cultural shifts that organizations are going to need to have in this disruptive world that we're in. I mean, we've known innovation's been important, but how do you do any innovation? How do you manage disruptive change? It's through the people. And when we really leverage the assets of the people, of those we're working with and we care about, then we're able to do things that we haven't been able to do before and respond in ways we you know, haven't been able to do before to be competitive and just to add value to those we're serving. Absolutely. And again, I'm reusing the word, but in, in a very authentic manner, just like you said, understanding people and their talents. Exactly. <sighs> well, this is awesome. So, hey, everyone. So Soren, I mentioned it in his intro, experiential intelligence, harness the power of experience for personal and business breakthroughs. So tell us, Soren, who should be picking up this book? Who is this going to be useful for? Anyone who is working with people has an opportunity to tap into a lot of the tools and templates and thinking in the book. And if you care about developing leaders or yourself as a leader, it's as equally as applicable to individuals and their own development as working with teams and organizations. So that's really the opportunity, I think, is to work on yourself and help others work on themselves uh, in the spirit of you know collaboration and teamwork. Absolutely. And it's no better time than today to be working in this space. So this is awesome. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful that this topic came our way. It's so interesting and so on point. So I'm so grateful you were able to join us today. It was a real pleasure. Thank you for having me. Of course. All right. Well, Nine to Thrive listeners, just a couple of things. As I said in the intro, please send us an email at podcasts at hci.org. If you do have any additional suggestions for topics, that's how we were able to find Soren here. Um, but also be sure to subscribe to this podcast in your favorite podcast app. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, please give us a rating. Your rating helps other professionals and talent-minded people discover our program. For Nine to Thrive HR and all of us here at HCI, we appreciate you for tuning in. Make it a great day, everyone.